Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Well, last week I came home late one evening tired after a bit of a longer day of work and my kids were already in bed. And so what that means is I can't go in through the garage. Because if I go in through the garage, if the garage door, which creaks a bit, opens, at least one of the kids is going to wake up. And if one of the kids wakes up, that child's not going to be happy, and mama's not going to be happy. And that means I am not going to be happy. And so um, as I got home late, um, rather than opening the garage and going in that way, I made my way to the front door and quietly opened and put my key into the doorknob to open it up. And then, as our sticky door sort of is, I took the knob and I turned it and pulled it towards me. And then it completely broke off of the door into my hand and the other side of the door handle fell onto the floor inside of the house. And immediately I'm thinking in my mind a couple of things very quickly. I am the Hulk. I've literally just ripped this handle off of the door. And then I'm going, I'm not getting in there now. (laughs) And it's starting to get cold out here. (laughs) And shoot, now I got to fix the door. (laughs) But all that's happening in an instant. Um, But the truth of the matter is the, the door handle had been loose for some time right? Um, And it was just one of those things that was low on the priority list, and I wasn't getting around to, but it kind of did the little jingle a little bit as you turned it before. And now, finally, it had fully come loose and broke. Now, perhaps there's something of a house project like that in your own home, um, where you just haven't quite gotten to it. Or maybe there is something you seem to not be able to get your landlord to understand is an issue. Um, Or perhaps more personally, there's something in your life that you know needs some work, but you just can't quite find the time or energy to address it, to change it. You know, the last few years have been a lot for many of us, and some things in life have broken. Other things have been breaking, and certainly there have been loose handles here, there, and everywhere. But I want to show you this morning that Colossians chapter 3, this passage that I just read, is really about handles, door handles like that. It is in many ways the Easter door. It's the Easter door such that the passage we just before the one we read shows you all that's in Jesus. If we just but open the door, it shows you everything that could be yours, all the fullness of God and everything that he has done. It shows you Jesus is not just the key, but the door. He's the house itself. And through chapter two, it shows you that there's a place you, were long for, you long for, that you were made for, and that you will only be at peace in if you live there. It, it shows you that the change you need personally and the change that you need in the world only comes through the door of Easter, the door of Christ. He's the empty tomb, and he is the key and door to a new life. But here's the deal. Before 
this passage I read, he tells you in this little book all of the broken handles. He tells you a bunch of broken handles. This letter was written by a man named Paul. Um, who was uh, a missionary, a church starter in the first century. And it was written to a small congregation in the town of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. The letter was written about 55 AD or so. And this church just sat beyond the Taurus Mountains, um, a little bit inland from the Mediterranean Sea. And the writer, Paul, is sending a message to this church, which is young, in order to help them grow up to mature in the faith. And he says, in effect, these are the broken handles that don't open the door to the things that you most hunger for, the things that are only found in Jesus. They don't bring new life. They don't bring a transformed life. They don't bring a resurrection life. And in my own words, not Paul, here's what he says. He says, there's a broken handle when we seek to feel better about ourselves by our religious observances and commitments. And when we do that, it doesn't quite change us. I mean, religious people can be some of the worst people of all, let's be honest, right? But also, when you feel better about yourself because of special or heightened spiritual experiences that you have had, that doesn't quite produce change either, because we all know that sometimes excitement doesn't last or produce the kind of change or perhaps godliness, that it could. Or the final thing, he says, hey, feeling strong, like your strengths, your virtues to overcome your vices. If you just work hard enough, then you can be better. Well, that doesn't always produce the kind of humility of Jesus that we see. These are broken doors, broken handles. They don't open the door to real growth or real change. They don't produce a life that begins to look more and more like Jesus. So what does? Well, here, right in the beginning of chapter 3, I think we see a different door and a handle that works to open it. And if we take it, we'll not just receive Jesus, but we'll start to then resemble the likeness of Jesus. And here, even in this couple of verses, what you see is that Paul puts right on display the two most common objections to the Christian faith. Do you see them? Look at Here they are, believing the resurrection and the behavior of Christians. Believing the resurrection and the behavior of Christians. Right? Believing the resurrection is actually a huge hang-up. When I talk with people in, in, in the city here and around my neighborhood, those who are exploring the faith, to actually believe that this teacher, this man, this holy one, who, who lived in the first century, that he, he actually came back to life? Well, that's just like the, the mystery and sort of like, you know, the, the miracle of it all just is too much for some. Now, the fact that he lived, that's historically accurate. We can see not just from Christian sources, but from a variety of sources that this man lived in the first century. And not only did he live, but his life had an impact a kind of impact that changed the course of world history for the last 2,000 years and continues to. But, but his life is interesting, even exemplary for most people. But was he given new life? Did he rise again? That's a hang-up. But not just believing the resurrection, the behavior of Christians is really challenging, right? 
I mean, it, it, it's got to be said that perhaps one of the reasons people shy away from church and shy away from Christianity is simply because of the way that they see Christians behave. I mean, we could talk about a lack of wisdom or perhaps a shortness of patience. Maybe we could talk about a blurring of truth or pride or anger, these things that still come out in all Christians. We could go on and on. Why is it then that Paul weaves together both the resurrection, believing it, and the behavior of Christians together? It's fascinating to me. I think it's because of this. I think it's because the resurrection matters more, not just merely for an afterlife, but it matters for your present life. The resurrection matters not merely for an afterlife, it matters for your present life. Because what Paul is saying, and what I will be teaching this morning, is is that Christ is alive, and that Christ is life. So here's what I'm going to do, and here's what we do at Emmanuel Fellowship. We teach the Bible. We, We look at it, examine it thoughtfully to try and see what it's saying. And then we apply the Bible. We try and see and we expect it to matter for our real lives. And so in the short time we have this morning, that's all I want to do. I want to actually word by word teach you through these couple of sentences. And I want to help you see what difference it makes for the stuff of our lives, okay? So point one, there's only two points today, teaching the resurrection, okay? That's what Paul's doing. He's teaching the resurrection. Look at verse one with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, hold on to that, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So not just raised with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him, with Christ, in glory. Do you see the repetition? Paul is teaching the resurrection and saying the resurrection is not just for Jesus, but it's for all who believe. The resurrection didn't matter just in the first century, but it matters now for us in the 21st century. The resurrection is all about union with Christ. It's this fancy Christian doctrine that talks about the the truth that sin and our selfishness cuts us off, separates us from God, but that despite our rejection of God and our walking in our own ways, Jesus came to seek and find us and to reconcile us back to God, to put us in right relationship with our creator and to give us a redeemer. Union with Christ is not just about a get-out-of-jail card. It is about a united relationship with the living God. And so when Paul is saying, you've been raised with Christ and and your life is hidden with Christ and you'll be glorified with Christ, he's sending a big pointing arrow to all that Jesus has done, which Paul has taught in the previous chapter. The same word, raised with Christ, is one word in the Greek and it points like a big arrow to this section where Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him 
through faith in the powerful working of God. Baptism in some traditions is what? Dunking someone under the waters, death, and then out of the waters to new life. So Paul is saying, you've been buried with him in the waters. You've been raised with him to new life out of the waters through the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses. All the ways that you went past what God says, dead. But God has made you alive together with him and forgiven all of our trespasses. And to what our assurance was earlier, he canceled the record of debt, the debt of all you've done. And he nailed it to the cross, offering you a clean slate, forgiveness, and a new start. And not just a new start, but a forever family, one that would not fade. This is the hope of the gospel, that we who are separated from God could be united to him. Perhaps a bit like you, I've lived in a variety of different places in my life. And many people who live and work in Minneapolis have not always lived and worked here, right? There are plenty of people who move to the area for work or for education, all sorts of different reasons. But place really matters when you think about the practices and daily habits that you might have, the behaviors of your life. I mean, think about this for a second. When, when you move to a new place, your grocery store changes, right? Or your coffee shop changes, your favorite restaurant changes. Maybe you still like that one that was there, but, but there's a new one here that is the one that you might frequent. And think about it though, even a coffee shop, same thing, is very different in different places. I mean, you might go to a coffee shop in one part of the town, and when you get there, you find lined up around the block outside a whole long queue of minivans and SUVs waiting to get their drink through the drive-thru. And then you go to another part of town, and you walk it, and you line up all of these custom commuter bicycles lined up all around on the sidewalk outside. And you go to one, and there's sort of maybe a more generic latte that's served fast and fresh to you. You go to the other, and there is a half-fat oat milk latte with a flower on top served to you with the guy with the killer mustache just for you. Different places. Same shop. Same offering. Just think, let's go one more. Think about, think about lawn care. right? You could live in some places, and... Um, they actually try and not mow their grass there. You know, like, I don't know if you've lived in this place where people, people don't want to mow their grass. They try and even let weeds grow in their grass, plant all different kinds of foliage and throw rocks here and there because of the way it'll preserve the water and save the bees. And yet you go to another part of town and they fertilize their lawn every week. And then they mow it like every third or fourth day because they've gone out there and they've like measured the height of it just to make it. So there's a sport to it in the way that they have like different places. Same thing, lawn care. Place matters for your practices. It shapes a lot of the way that you live and behave, the habits that you have. And what Paul is saying here is that Christians live with Christ, that Christ is now the place in which they live and move. 
And, and though as a society we've become more and more transient, moving here and there, there is something still within us that speaks to the power of place, especially places that we feel a real sense of connection to. And that's the other sense, right? What Paul is saying here is there is a connection, a union to the person of Jesus. And there is a living and residing in the place that is Jesus that's possible because of the resurrection. Place matters. Your home impacts your habits. And I hope you can see how now how union with Christ and the place of Christ matters for the way we live and how we behave in the world, the habits which mark our life, which is because Paul is not just teaching the resurrection. What he's doing is he's naturally leading to apply the resurrection. He's saying it matters for our lives. Look at this. Let's go to that point number two, applying the resurrection. If we want to apply the resurrection, one of the ways that we can do this is just to look simply at the actions the resurrection would lead us to. That's what Paul is doing. He's calling this young church, and I believe still today, this is calling our church to action. What's the action? Well, let's read it. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above. There's action. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. Paul, the writer here, he's a master church planter. He's a pastor that's seasoned, and he knows he's got to get practical for God's people. And here it is, summed up in two phrases, but it's saying one thing. He's saying, seek the things above. Set your minds on the things that are above. Seek, of course, is, is devoting yourself, giving serious effort to something. That drive that you've had to strive or to aim for something, to realize some form of goal or to get what you long for, that's seeking. And then set your mind is to give careful consideration, to be intent or focused on something. It is really to develop an attitude or a mindset disposition about something or about life in general. And what he's saying here is that, that the Colossians, and we like them, we need to set our minds on the things that are above. But what's the problem? Oh, we set our mind on the things that are below, right? We, we, we struggle to do this, right? We struggle to set our minds on things above. We seek things other than Christ, and we focus and we set our minds on things other than Christ. And here's the thing, though, right? Um, that's why some Christians don't live and look much like Christ, Remember the objection we started with to the faith? Sometimes our behavior doesn't quite match our beliefs. But, but whether you consider yourself to be a Christian here this morning or not, when you don't live or you don't believe in his resurrection, I promise you, you'll look somewhere else for resurrection. When you don't believe his resurrection, you'll look somewhere else for resurrection. When you don't live to honor Jesus, you will live to honor something else. Think about this. Rather than living ways that honor Jesus, you might begin to live in ways that honor other people. 
comparison starts to settle into your mind and you find yourself comparing yourself to others or comparing others to others. And soon enough, this constant loop of comparison is running in your mind that you can't quite seem to escape because people are big and God is small. Now, living this way has certainly a kind of pressure and and often a bit of posturing that comes with it. And those two things never produce any kind of conflict or brokenness at all when we simply seek to juggle and please others socially. But maybe perhaps comparison isn't an issue. The opinions of others does not take center stage for you, but maybe you and your opinion take center stage. And all of the, 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 the conflict or all of the vices that come with a struggle of comparison don't characterize you, but, but you really do battle with a struggle for control. You have to have things your way. You want things to go how you want them to, to go. You crave the kind of power to be able to decide and to do as you please. And when you want things that way, you begin to act sometimes in all kind of unhealthy ways in order to get what you want. Paul says that Jesus is seated, enthroned somewhere, that he is life and that he is glory. Do you see those in this passage? He is seated at the right hand of God and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear in glory with him. So to apply the resurrection would be, in a sense, to say, no matter what, your Lord is sitting somewhere. Like when you don't live or believe that Jesus is the risen Lord, enthroned at the right hand, you will most certainly live as if another is Lord. Think about this. If you were to answer in your own mind, my my first allegiance is always to Or perhaps the devotion of my time, my energy, and relationship goes to my thoughts. If if I let them go, they always tend to drift towards. Friends, your Lord is sitting somewhere. And the things you honor, the authority you come under, the loyalty that you offer, friends, you have a Lord. The question of Easter is, is your Lord the risen Lord, or is there another? Not only is the Lord sitting somewhere, your Lord, but also your life is hidden somewhere. To apply the resurrection, we say, hey, your sense of life and peace and well-being, it rests somewhere. Hidden here means kept, safe, guarded, secured. Your life is hidden somewhere. And when you don't live and believe that Christ is life, that there is fullness of life in Christ, that there is abundant life, that there is, there, there is the thing that you need and crave for in Jesus, you most certainly will live and try and find it elsewhere. You might think subconsciously, I'll only be truly alive, truly happy if I can, if I can get this thing or that promotion or be loved by this person. Or perhaps it's negative. You start to say, I, just, I, can't, I know I can't live without this. Friends, your life is hidden somewhere. 
the peace you crave, the satisfaction you long for, the joy, the hope, the meaning in life that you were made for, is your life the Lord of life? Or is it another? And then not just Lord, but life and glory. Do you see it? Your glory is waiting somewhere. When you don't live or believe that Jesus got up out of the grave, that he has gone to glory, and that more than gone to glory, one day he will be coming back in glory to, to right all of the wrongs of this world, to renew it after the good design of God, our creator. When you don't believe that Christ is your coming glory, you will wait for another glory. You might begin to say, hey, for me, this is heaven. If I could just get married, if I could travel the world, or perhaps if I could have a family, I know I'll arrive if I could just get to this spot in life. Or perhaps the thing with the most gravity for me is always this. It feels most weighty and significant. Friends, your glory is waiting somewhere the future you want, the hope of your heart, the life that is most beautiful to you, does your glory come with Christ or does it come with another? Easter asks us all these questions, but the, the most important question that Easter asks us is really about what it means to be a Christian. Because many in our time and in our culture think that to be a Christian means to adhere or follow some kind of religion. When in reality, to be a Christian is to believe the resurrection. Now, you're your practices do matter. To be a Christian does involve some kind of practice and way of life. But, but Christianity is first and foremost about place. It's about hope. Easter asks us, where have you placed your hope? Where have you placed your life? Where have you placed your allegiance? And here's why that matters. It matters because your place then always gets expressed in your practices. Your hope, your home always begins to shape your habits. Your beliefs begin to affect your behaviors. And when there's not a real and functioning belief in the resurrection, I promise you, you won't be able to live resurrected in a new way. When there's not a practice of Christ in your life, you have to begin to ask, is there a place of Christ in my life, in my heart? The resurrection matters not merely for an afterlife, but for our present lives. And Paul is saying, and I am saying, Christ is alive and Christ is your life. Live for him. Because the hope of a Christian and the hope for any kind of transformation hinges upon the resurrection. And if he hasn't been raised, then we're fools just gathering here in these seats. But there is hope, and he has been raised. The resurrection is the key, and it is the door to the new life that God desires for you and for me. If Christ has a new life, then we can have new life. For the Christian on the cross... It's not just Christ who's died, 
But our old life has died and has gone away. It's in the grave, never to rise. But for the Christian, also a new kind of life has been made alive for us because Christ has been made alive. The resurrection is the key to our change because he was raised to life. You can walk in newness of life. And Paul is saying, and I'm saying, not just you can, but you must walk in newness of life. Because that's his gospel logic for Christians and for Easter. If Christ has been raised, you have been raised. If Christ is resurrected, then live resurrected. And here's the deal. That's such good news. It's such good news to people like me who don't always seek the things above perfectly. It's it's good news to us who overtly or subtly reject the person and place of Jesus. It's good news because the grave could not hold him. It's good news because our sin upon his shoulders could not keep him. It's good news because though on Good Friday, the Lord of life was rejected, on Easter Sunday, with all power, he raised to new life, not so that he could be accepted, but so that you could be accepted by God himself, though you don't deserve it at all by what you've done. Though you seek many things other than him, he has come to seek and find you, that you may have life in him. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things of Christ. He lived for you. He died for you. He's risen for you. And listen, if Christ has not been your life, why would you not receive him for the first time this morning? Or receive him afresh this morning, the one who is the risen king, who is the Lord of life. Place your hope in him. And if you place your hope in him, I promise your habits will start to come into play. And you who have put your hope in him will begin to look and resemble him. When you do, when you seek Jesus and the things that are above, you will not look like an objection. Your life will increasingly look like resurrection because you've been made new by the powerful working of God and your faith in the risen Jesus. And then I promise you, your life will resemble his. And I promise you that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him glorious. That's the hope of Easter.